doesn't get any better than that, does it? To think about what uh, the Lord did for us on the cross and to think about His, uh, as it says in the song, His selfless love, selfless love. And uh, when I think about that, I think about how pitiful my love is in return to His. I think about in John 21 where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he used the word agape, the ultimate love. And uh, Peter wasn't quite ready to answer that, was he? And uh, so he gets asked that twice. And then the last time, uh, Jesus says, Well, Peter, do you phileo me? That brotherly type love that was quite a step down. And it broke Peter's heart. And I wonder tonight, where is the level of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we love him as he loves us? Or do we just consider him just a good friend, a brother, and uh, that type of thing? And it ought to grieve us. That after all he's done for us, our love for him is not near where it should be. And I think we all battle that as uh, sinners and as human beings. We don't ever love quite the way that we ought to love. In fact, read 1 Corinthians 13 sometime and look at the characteristics of love. And then ask yourself the question, do I love anybody like that? Do I love God? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I love the church? Do I love the Word of God? Anything like that. And uh, I think you'll find that we all fall short of that in our love because we just don't have perfect love. But one day, take heart, one day we will. And uh, that'll be a, a glorious day. Well, tonight I'd like for us to turn to the book of First uh, Chronicles and let's look in the 10th chapter. You say, what happened to all the other ones? Oh man, if you think Matthew's genealogy is rough, you got about nine chapters of different Jewish genealogies in that book, and uh, I just don't have the heart to go through all of that kind of stuff. I want to get on into this because uh, one of the things we know about life and about time and society, even ourselves, change is inevitable. We all change, sometimes for the good, uh, sometimes it's for the worst. And our society changes. In fact, we have watched American culture and society change really before our very eyes. It's taken just a short period of time for liberals to virtually control every institution in America except the church. And uh, we are the pillar of truth. We are the last bastion of truth and godliness in our land and so it's not the time to fade, it's the time to stand up. It's not the time to waver. It's not the time, as uh, Margaret Thatcher told the first George Bush in the uh, Gulf War, George, don't go wobbly. And I'm afraid a lot of Christians and a lot of churches, we go wobbly. And then those who do hold on and try to hold out for the truth, one of the devil's ploys is to get you discouraged, to get you thinking you're the only one, to get you thinking that it's hopeless, that you're powerless, that God doesn't really care, that he's not doing anything, and that there's not really any hope. Well, I think as we think about the uh, change in our society, uh, think about how technology has changed. I came here in 1996. Think about how technology has changed. We didn't live stream back then. We did cassettes. Remember cassettes? And uh, that's the way we recorded everything. And then it went to uh, uh, CDs. And then, uh, you know, we've gone on to, you know, more 
um, technologically sound things now. And now we uh, actually have a website where our Sunday school teachers can go and study their lessons. And if you miss a church service or miss a Sunday school class, you can go to our website and you can find it there. You can keep up with everything. It's quite an amazing thing. In fact, we went to see, Sammy and I went to see the Essential Church movie last night at uh, Quail Springs. And uh, it's a very good movie. You ought to see it if you get the opportunity and it's about how uh, John MacArthur at Grace Community Church, how they withstood the government in defiance of their orders under the heading that Christ is the head of the church, not the government. And then they also spotlighted two Canadian pastors. And uh, these two Canadian pastors actually went to jail for having church in Canada, supposedly a free society like ours. Canada has really gone liberal and gone to the dogs. And uh, all of this is about control. It's about power. It's not really about health, not really about safety. It's about who has to obey whom. And the state would love for the church of the Lord Jesus and Christian people like you and like me to... uh, obey what the government says whether they're telling the truth or not and to see them as being sovereign over us and of course we can't do that and in the movie it was heartbreaking when you saw those pastors arrested Uh, I, I expect that in Iran I expect that in Cuba I expect that in China and places like that but in Canada And as they took those men and they took them to jail and you can see their little children crying out, Daddy, Daddy, no. And the tears that are there, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Then the men describe being processed like a common criminal through the prison system, all of the full body cavity searches and everything like that, just how humiliating everything is. And uh, it's just kind of an unbelievable thing to think that That type of persecution is incredibly close. In fact, they showed a letter that was sent to Grace Community Church to uh, Dr. MacArthur saying that he faced fines and imprisonment if he did not shut the church down and if he did not do, you know, what they say. And it's basically now we've got this message coming out of Washington that if you are a Bible-believing Christian, sit down, shut up, we don't want to hear from you well the one thing that I have to say to them and to Washington DC is change is coming whether you like it or not because not all of the changes are societal changes or technological changes in fact not all change is good I uh, found some heartbreaking statistics here and this is why we need to be praying for younger generations and reaching out to them. Uh, I found uh, in a, uh, a Pew poll that a generation that was born between 1928 to 1945, that generation, some of you were in that, and uh, that's the generation before the baby boom and all of those kind of things after World War II. Uh, they did a survey and they found out in that generation you know what the percentage is of that generation that affiliates with no church there are some it's 10 percent now that's tragic 10 percent of all of those people out of that generation say they have no use for church or anything like that that's nothing new it's always been that way 
Among baby boomers, that's uh, people born from 1946 to 1964. That's probably most of us here tonight. And that generation, the unaffiliated baby boomers, 17%. So a pretty good little uptick there. And uh, then we find Generation X, those born from 1965 to 1980. 1965 to 1980. The number of unaffiliated people in that generation jumps to, you ready? 25%. Steadily going up, steadily going up. And then among millennials, those born from 1981 to 1996, the number of unaffiliated people, 40%. Nearly half, nearly half. And I suppose as you go down lower, it probably gets worse. And uh, there's, there's a downward slide here, a downgrade, that we really need to pray about because our only hope is God or we're going to become a completely secular nation and a completely secular culture if we're not already people that uh, even a lot of those who do go to church regularly and wouldn't be in those percentages they don't really believe the bible they don't really believe the gospel they may be a part of a ritualistic um, denomination they may be a part of a cult they may be a part of uh, a you know some other kind of thing where they don't really believe but they go because mom and dad make them go or it's tradition to go or our family always goes but it's not really anything they grasp and hold on to kind of like we talked about this morning but as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God but a lot of people don't have that because they really haven't received and embraced Christ and the gospel and they don't have the power. They go to church, but there's no power. There's no changed life. And as we watch as our nation battles with drug addiction and alcohol and mental illness and things like that, it breaks our heart. We're not angry at them. We're sad. We, are, we have compassion on them. We would like to help them. And uh, not too long ago, I was able to talk to some people who were just out of rehab. And I said to them, let me tell you something. I admire you. And they looked at me kind of funny. And I said, anybody who can go through a program like that and anybody who can kick the powerful uh, influence that drugs and alcohol has on their life and they want to better their life and they want to follow Jesus, I'm, I'm like hip, hip, hooray. That is a great thing. I'm not going to condemn anybody who does that. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing that uh, they are doing. And I don't think that a lot of church people actually feel that way. We sometimes wonder, what are they doing in a place like this? What are they doing in our church and places like that? Well, what better place for them to come, folks? This is the place they need to be. And we ought to have open arms and be welcoming to them because we want to share the gospel. Because uh, this, these statistics that we bring are really heartbreaking and that's how fast our nation has changed but the hope is it can also go the other way very very fast as well there have been nations who have turned around and when we get to first chronicles chapter 10 we find israel at a very 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 bad place a dark place and a sinful place um we don't know uh what, uh, who really wrote this uh, particular book, and uh, we don't know the full setting of it, but most scholars assume it was the prophet Ezra who wrote these things down, and it happened right after 
the uh, Israelites return from Babylonian captivity. And you can see as you think about all of the genealogies that are listed there, all of those chapter after chapter after chapter of genealogies. Doesn't mean much to us, but it meant a lot to them. And it meant a lot to the people who were living them. They could go back and identify their family, their roots. That was their Ancestry.com or uh, you know, something like that. And they could trace everything down. And it was important for them to keep records because they needed to know who was qualified to be a priest, who was qualified to work in the temple, those type of things. And uh, so they were excited about that. And part of the reason that this is written is because a nation that forgets or ignores its history is doomed. And I'm afraid that in our country, we don't know who we are anymore. And so we think that we're just a bunch of racists. Uh, a lot of people kind of have the idea that racism started in the United States of America. Well, if they would study history, they would know that it's been going on since the beginning of time. There are also a lot of people that think that slavery, the slave trade and all of that, it started in America. Well, it had been going on long, long before that. In fact, read your Bible. It goes back even to the book of Exodus. Thousands of years these things happen. And so because we don't know our history, we don't know why we're here, we don't know the Declaration of Independence, which Abraham Lincoln in his Gettysburg Address said that was the true beginning of the nation. And we don't understand our Constitution. It gets trampled. We walk all over it. Then we end up in all kinds of trouble. We end up with a two-tiered justice system to where if you're connected to powerful people and the elites, you can do just about anything you want and get away with it. But if you're an everyday, ordinary person or you're opposed to them, then you're going to be indicted and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And if you dare during a pandemic stand up and say, no, we are going to meet and we don't bow before the state, Jesus is the head of the church, uh, there's always a price to pay for those kind of, of things. And whenever change happens, um, change like a change of a president or the change of a government, government or anything like that, it's always very, very painful. Now, King Saul is the uh, main character in this uh, chapter that we're going to read tonight and read this story. And Saul has already been rejected by the Lord. You remember back when he was supposed to go to the uh, Amalekites and he was supposed to kill all of them and take none of the spoils. And so Samuel shows up after the battle and he hears the sheep and, um, you know, he was wondering, what, why did you do everything you were supposed to do? And Saul goes, oh, yes, I did. But then why do I hear the sheep? They're, they're bleating. And, uh, oh, uh, well, the people wanted to keep them, and they want to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And that's when that famous statement, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken to the Lord is better than offering the fat of rams. In other words, God doesn't care about your sacrifice if it's given in disobedience to him and their so-called obedience here the sacrifices that wasn't the real reason they kept them they were just caught so now they have to do something as a cover-up and you know what happens with politicians when they start trying to cover up they've always said about Richard Nixon that uh, the cover-up was actually worse than his actual crimes in all of that that probably had he admitted to it and not participated in a cover-up he might have served 
both terms of his office. We forget now he was a very, very popular president. He won in 1972 in a landslide and uh, then ended up by, what, 1974, I believe, having to be the only president ever to resign from office. Just a terrible thing. And a lot of upheaval was going on in our country during that time. And we thought that during the late 70s and through the 80s that a lot of that had gone away. But have you noticed? It's back. Marxism, people marching in the street, the anti-cop type thing. Uh, all of the stuff that's going on, corruption in government in the highest places, uh, it's, it's everywhere. And it's almost like we're repeating my uh, late teenage years. It looks so very familiar. And uh, what are we going to do? And there are people that say, oh, we ought to impeach Joe Biden and uh, we ought to get rid of different people. A lot of radical concerns about that. But uh, that's easier said than done if you haven't noticed. And it causes a lot of upheaval along with it. And so when we read this story, we read how God did the uh, change that needed to take place that he, was, um, that he had already called for and that uh, was going to happen. And so when we read in verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines, we know them, they fought against Israel... And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines. Now that's a tad unusual. And all uh, and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. When we were in Israel, we saw Mount Gal Gilboa several times as we drove past it. Verse 2 it says, Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan. Aminadab and Malkishua, Saul's sons. And the battle became fierce, heated against Saul. And the archers hit him. And he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men... Come and abuse me. And he meant abuse his corpse more than anything. But his armor bearer would not. I don't blame him. For uh, he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Suicide in other words. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead. He also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. That was the end of the house of Saul. What's the house of Saul? Kind of like in England, the ruling monarchs now are of the house of Windsor. You've heard of that? That's what it means there. It's Saul, all of his servants, all of his government officials, and all of that. They are all out of the way. They are gone. Israel effectively now does not have a government. It has, as a nation, it has collapsed under the weight of the Philistine attack. Now, how would you feel? And what would you think if that happened? Verse 7. And when all the men of Israel were in the, who were in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, look at this, they forsook their cities and they fled. And then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. 
Well, that's really unpleasant, isn't it? And scary. Verse 8. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and they took his head and they took his armor and they uh, sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the uh, temple of their idols and among the people. I mean, they were really celebrating. This is a big, big deal. Verse 20, it says, And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. That must have been a very pleasant sight. Think about that. Verse 11. And when all Japhesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, all of the valiant men arose. Thank God for valiant men. They arose and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and they brought them to Jabesh and they buried their bones under the tamarisk tree at Jabeth and fasted seven days. They showed respect and showed honor even to that king. Verse 13. So Saul died, and here's why, for his unfaithfulness which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance but did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, and notice the next thing here, he, capital H, that's the Lord, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to who? David. Isn't that interesting? To David, the son of Jesse. Now, I want you to think about all of the turmoil and everything that has happened here as Israel has fallen and as the kingdom of Saul, the whole government, has collapsed and everything is about to change. Now, when we read that last line, we go, oh, yay, the hero, David, is coming in. But these people didn't know that. They had no idea who the next king would be at this point. They didn't know that David had been anointed king by Samuel the prophet. They had no idea about any of this. And you remember David was running from Saul and was actually in hiding at this time. He didn't look much like a leader. He didn't look much like a cool monarch, you know, to rule and reign over Israel. He looked like a coward. He looked like somebody on the run. And some people suspected that he must be an outlaw or Saul wouldn't be after him. Think about that. And you uh, think about when somebody first brings up David's name, it might not have been that everybody went, yay, he's the man, David, David, you know, he's the one that we want. I, I'm not sure that that really happened because he had been um, tainted by all of this with Saul. And so uh, they don't really see it quite like we do. All they see is darkness, gloom, emptiness, destruction, collapse, the whole society, all of that kind of stuff going down. Who's going to invade us next? Who is going to occupy our land? And are we ever going to be an independent nation again? Are we going to be able to throw off all of our enemies again and establish our borders again? Are we going to have freedom to worship in our temple again? Are we going to have a good economy again? A lot of questions like that. Uh, ever felt much the same way? 
And uh, every election I've been in, I vote. I started voting in 1980. And uh, I suppose every election, every presidential election in my lifetime has been, quote, the most critical election in our history, unquote. I've heard that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I, I may have done too many overs. I may not be that old. But um, that's, that's the kind of thing that we say. And that's usually used to try to, you know, get us to vote or to stir us up or to get us to give money to a political candidate or a political party or something like that. And yet, most of the time in my life, with very few exceptions, very little is really improved. Now, there's been a lot of change, but it's usually a downward spiral, and it's usually more corrupt, and it's usually people... Well, as a conservative, I really, really do get tired of candidates that run on a conservative platform, but they govern like liberals. Doesn't that bug you? And you look at people that you have voted for and you've supported and then they disappoint you and they don't live up to what they say they were going to live up to. I mean, that's pretty disgusting. And now as we get into this upcoming election next year and we think about all the things that are happening and all the accusations and everything going back and forth and the indictments and the trials and uh, rumors and all of that kind of stuff. And they're on both sides, by the way. And uh, we look at all of that. Where, where do you land in all of this? And sometimes it's kind of hard to even know exactly how to pray. We almost feel like this has never really happened before. But it has. I think every nation goes through this when they go through times of turmoil. Because President Biden will not be president forever. Some don't think he's going to run. Some think he may not survive a campaign or a full Another term, we don't know, but even if he does, he has to go out of office after this term. There's going to be somebody else that comes along unless we just completely collapse and are unable to choose our own leaders anymore. And things change, and it changes the economy, it changes the outlook, it changes the national mood, it changes all of the things that we, we kind of like things to stay the same. And uh, economically, boy, the stock market really does not like radical change or anything like that and uh, it just kind of affects everything so let's just make some observations as we kind of work our way through this particular chapter and number one and uh, the verses are, are with this I won't bother to read them all again because it's lengthy but number one we see that God controls foreign nations and uses them to take down corrupt leaders you know, uh, have you ever thought about that? That we wonder, why did this happen? And why do these people, why are they gaining power? Well, ask Israel. Why did uh, a nomadic tribe of Babylonians all of a sudden become a world empire and then invade Israel? Why did that happen? Because of Israel's sin. That was a judgment upon them. And the Babylonians didn't get off the hook, for they very shortly after that were judged and they fell as well when they were conquered by the Persians. This has been human history all the time. And we see the enemies of certain countries, all of a sudden they gain power, they gain strength, they get a lot of money, and they rise up. What are we supposed to think about that? What are we supposed to, how are we supposed to look at that? Well, it's bad policy or bad leadership or you know, different things like that. Well, what if it is God? 
And what if that's God's way of saying, I'm tired of the corruption, I'm tired of the sin, I'm tired of the hypocrisy, I'm tired of the pride, I'm tired of all of that. And so he raises up foreign nations, enemy nations, to take down corrupt leaders. We've seen that happen more than once in world history. Secondly, I want you to notice that regime change throughout history has been, been brutal and violent. We have been... So blessed in this nation for 200, almost 250 years to have a peaceful transfer of power every few or every four years. Even in the House and the Senate and those type of things. But now we're seeing things become contentious again. And uh, we start thinking about that and go, oh, has it ever been like this before? Look at all of this stuff that's happening and everything everybody's saying and how divided we are. Well, what if you were seeing a regime change like in 1 Chronicles chapter 10? It's time for a new king. How do you get rid of the old one? God raises up an enemy. They invade and they start defeating Israel. And then it ends up with their king uh, committing suicide. And his sons, the dynasty, are wiped out as well. I mean, it's over for King Saul. And when you look through human history, that is normal. That's not unusual. That's not weird. That's the way it was done almost everywhere. And especially anywhere where you had a king. Somebody assassinated the king. Somebody um, overthrew the king or something like that. You were never safe if you were the king of a nation. And we forget that sometimes. And so that's one thing. Uh, as we look at our nation and we look at all of the junk that we're going through, uh, can you just at least thank God for our form of government that allows us to have a peaceful transition and pray that that continues because that really is the way that it ought to be, not this type of stuff like we read about here. Number three, in crisis, that's when unthinkable things begin to happen. I want you to just roll back the curtain of your memory if you can. And we're going to go back and pretend it's 2018 or 2019. It's pre-COVID. We don't even know what COVID is yet and uh, all of that. And I want you to think about how many things have changed. How many friends have you lost to that pandemic? Man, I miss Robert Taylor. Remember our missionary to Mexico? And then... Uh, in January, I believe it was of 2020, we had a guy that came in here. Uh, Ed Lacey was his name, and he met with our men, and he preached to us, and he seemed to just kind of click with our church. I had no idea that he was going to die of COVID just a few months later. I mean, that kind of stuff happens. But have you also heard about things like alcohol abuse going through the roof during that time? Have you also heard about the suicide rate going up, particularly among younger people? And when you look at what changed and what happened during COVID, it was the kind of thing where churches were going to be, people were going to be imprisoned or fined. But if you were a part of BLM, you could riot and burn down everything without any repercussions whatsoever. Does that make any sense to anybody? Those kind of things where they would say that the gambling casinos in Las Vegas, now that's essential, but you better not have church because it's unessential. What kind of country are we living in? And look how attitudes and things have changed. Church attendance has not caught back up since COVID um, in, uh, overall in the nation. 
And uh, we look and we just go, wow, things really, really are different. People's attitudes are different. And people seem to have an anger about them. And people seem to have a lot of despair. And then to think that in a prosperous country like the United States, where we all ought to be the happiest people. I mean, it ought to be like Disneyland in the USA everywhere you go. And yet we find people are killing themselves. And uh, there's all kinds of things that are going on. And in a crisis, the unthinkable happens. I don't suppose anybody, in going back to our text, anybody in Israel would have said, you think Saul will last much longer? No, I really don't. I've heard that uh, he's been rejected by God. Samuel the prophet says he's no longer going to be the king. I wonder what's going to happen. Do you think he's going to resign? Do you think that there's going to be some type of scandal? What do you think is going to happen for him to go out? I kind of doubt anybody said suicide. There's something about crisis that take place in a nation like this that bring out the deep, dark, ugly things that we never really expected that we would see. I think we are kind of seeing that in our own nation. That was point number three. Let's uh, kind of move on now. Uh, notice here point number four. Liberty is fragile and someone is always ready to take away your freedom. So the people here, some of these Israelis, they go, oh, this isn't going too well. Run for the hills. Run for your lives. And they do. And the Philistines say, thank you very much. And they take over that town. They take over that city. They take over that village. And they live in their houses. And people sometimes that uh, you wouldn't expect, they become cowardly. They become quiet. And they just simply run instead of uh, standing and fighting. We would expect the Jews to stand and fight, but they didn't. And uh, we always need to realize that the liberties that we have, there's always somebody there willing to take it if we abandon it. That's why Christians ought to be good stewards and vote. And that's why as Christians we ought to be praying regularly for our nation. That's why we ought to be living godly, holy, moral lives because we are salt and light. And if we're not going to speak up against injustice and corruption and immorality, then here's my question. Who is? Who is? We are the pillar and ground of truth, Paul says. If we don't speak up, then everybody will be silent. And if we are willing to hand over our liberty, there's somebody there that's willing to take it, and I doubt they will give it back. I doubt they will give it back. Number five, God is often uh, disgraced and shamed in this type of a culture. Well we're watching that now. It's interesting um, when you watch TV. And they have to bleep out certain words. When they're interviewing somebody. Or if there's a riot in the background. And the things that the people are chanting. They'll bleep certain words. But they don't care if they use God's name in vain. At all do they. At all. And in the commandments it says. God will not hold him guiltless. Who uses his name in vain. And so just the thoughtless, mindless, using God's word as a curse word, as a four-letter word in ways you would punch somebody if they said that about your mother. But it's just one of those things where nobody really thinks much about uh, all of that anymore. God being disgraced and all of that. Christians being laughed at. And uh, the whole idea of the Bible being the word of God and being any kind of truth. And even the morality that is promoted in the Bible is just not anything that uh, anyone cares about. Okay, so um, 
That was, what was that, number five? Uh, God is often disgraced, and here they are taking Saul, and he's the king that has been anointed by God, and he's the king of the people of God that's supposed to be so great. The Philistines have heard the stories of them crossing the Red Sea and crossing the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho f- uh, falling, and so now they come along in the name of their God. They seem to have defeated the God of Israel, and so they take Saul's armor as the king, And they take his head and they put it into the uh, temple of their god, Dagon. Okay? Number six. The good news is, during these times, there is always an honorable remnant that that will arise. Um, That always seems to happen. It doesn't matter whether you're in Hitler's Germany or uh, anything like that. There's always an underground movement. There's always some people that really want to see things set right. Uh, think about Corey Ten Boom. If you get a chance, uh, you might uh, want to go see that movie, The Hiding Place. It's been done before, and it's based upon her book and uh, life story, but I understand it's done very well. But I, I'm afraid we're in a place where I say that name, and there are a lot of people who go, Corey who? And uh, she's one that she and her family, they lived in Holland, and they were Christians. And during the Holocaust, they were hiding Jews. And they went to a concentration camp, and everybody in Corey's family died in the concentration camp except her. And she lived until, I believe, the uh, 1980s and served God during all of that time. And uh, there's always a remnant. There's always someone when we were uh, watching that movie in Canada, one of those churches, a Baptist church, by the way, that when they, uh, the government came in and changed all the locks on their buildings and they put fencing up around the buildings so that the members there could not go to church, well, they started meeting out in the woods and they started meeting in rural areas where they wouldn't be spotted. And uh, the bad thing is when you have 150 cars out in the country, somebody knows something's going on. And, uh, you know, so, you know, they were in trouble for all of that. But there's always a remnant. And even back during the Reformation and back during tough times for believers, there was always somebody there who stood up for the truth. Think about the risk Martin Luther took when he stood up against the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. That was the dominant political organization. I know it's supposed to be religious, but it was very political in those days. And you did not defy the Pope unless you wanted to die. The church could execute people. Can you imagine if we could execute people? How weird that would be and strange. But that that was life for them. But there was always a remnant and there was always somebody somewhere who would stand up. Think about ancient Israel and think about prophets like Elijah and Isaiah and different people like that. God has always had a people. And in this case, these people that are raised up to go and get the bodies of Saul and his sons... Uh, when you read in First Samuel, the account gives us a little more detail. They actually took their bodies and they hung them on the wall of a city there in, uh, on this mountain and let the, to let them rot. That was the most disgraceful thing you could do to someone. These valiant men went and rescued them and then they, uh, uh, it says that they burned the bodies and then buried the bones under that uh, tree. And then they fasted for seven days. They showed honor to this king who really didn't deserve it. But uh, there's something about 
knowing that uh, there are authorities and institutions that even if the person occupying them is not much good, the institution itself is something that ought to be honored. And so they weren't necessarily honoring Saul. They were honoring the position he held as the anointed king of Israel. And now that is all over. Thank God that there are always valiant people that stand up for the truth. You may be one of them. Your children may be one of them. Your grandchildren may be one of them in days to come. But we always thank God for those type of people. And then number eight, understand this. Regardless of what it seems or how it feels, God is sovereignly controlling all things and will do what is right. And so the Bible says, Saul died. Why? For his unfaithfulness which um, he had commanded or committed against the Lord. And uh, he didn't keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium. You do know consulting or being involved in the occult in any way, shape, or form is a sin, don't you? Whether it's astrology, whether it's a Ouija board, whether it is tarot cards or casting spells or doing a seance, all of that is stuff believers are supposed to stay away from. That is pure demonic, okay? And Paul, uh, pardon me, Saul here uh, just jumped right in for it. And so he paid a high price for it. And it does say in there that it wasn't Saul who killed himself. I mean, he did. But ultimately, it says in here, it was God who took his life for his unfaithfulness. Political leaders will be judged for their unfaithfulness to the Lord. Please don't think they just get away with it and they can do anything they want. No, a thousand times no. God is not mocked. Whatever a man, even a king, even a president, even a congressman, whoever it may be, they will reap what they sow. Okay? And so we've got to remember that. So what do we do and how do we pray for our nation as we go through this? So as we uh, think about this, it's kind of based on what we talked about. Pray for our enemies to uh, be restrained. We've got so many people who would love to take our country out now. And if God takes away his restraint, they just might do it. Right? And if God ordains for our nation to fall, we will fall. Pray for the enemies of our country to be restrained. Pray for a peaceful transfer of power. Let's not take that for granted. That uh, could change, it might change, and you would hate to see a rash of assassinations and a coup and all of that kind of stuff that we've been so protected from. Pray for a peaceful transfer of power. Don't just assume. And pray for our leaders, both present and future, to be wise and to be emotionally healthy. We think about Saul. He was crazy. Think about all of the things he went through. Remember David playing the harp for him to settle down his mind. Think about his mood swings and all of that. And uh, the demonic activity in his life. Well, we don't need that. We need to pray. We need to pray that God would give us candidates who are wise and who are sane and who are stable and uh, who can govern clearly and cleanly and peacefully and all of those kind of things instead of all of the wild emotional swings that we just see people going crazy now you're either on one side or the other and uh man you can be canceled out for just the least little thing now and think about the media and how crazy the media is 
and how much they withhold for, from us and how they lie and how they even position themselves against us, people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to pray about those kind of things. We need to pray for preservation of our God-given liberty. That's one thing our founders understood, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Nobody thinks that anymore except people like you. And we need to understand that our liberty is not something that the government grants us. It's something that God gives us. And the government's op op obligation is to protect our God-given liberties. Which again points to the fact that we serve the king of kings and not the state. They didn't give us anything. They just recognize what we have. We need to pray about that. We need to pray for God to be glorified instead of dishonored uh, in, in our government and in our culture, in our society. It's just everywhere, folks. To see God's name honored once again, to see Him lifted up once again would just be an amazing thing. Well, that starts with us. Judgment begins with the house of God. Pray for believers to be strong and to live honorably. We want to be those valiant men. Regardless of what the culture is doing as it rots, we want to be the valiant ones who stand for truth, who do what's right, and who minister to other people as we serve the Lord. And then pray that we will submit to the will of God and trust His wisdom even in dark times. Because... It's really not about our government. It's about God. It's about us getting what we deserve. And that's frightening to think about. What do we deserve? Do we deserve good, wise, godly leaders? Or we do, do we deserve the kind of people that we have had and the kind that we have? And uh, does that, what does that portend for the future? And uh, we look at that and we say, oh, Lord, we don't deserve your blessings as a nation. And that's why um, I think about the song, America, God shed his what on thee? Grace, because we don't deserve blessings. Anything that God gives us, if he protects us, it's going to be by his undeserved favor. We need grace more than anything else on our nation. So may we do that? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, as we think about where we are, what we've been through, what we're going through, and what's happening, it doesn't make sense to us. And some of the things that uh, we are living through right now, oh my goodness, I can remember when Bill Clinton and Barack Obama uh, declared forcefully that marriage is between one man and one woman. I can remember when Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act. Boy, we've run all over that now. And marriage can be anything anybody wants to do at any time with anyone. Same sex. And one guy tried to petition so that he could marry his dog. All of this kind of stuff. And where is this going to end? Polygamy? What's going to happen to our children? Is it going to become legal one day for... Uh, a middle-aged man to have sexual relations with a boy just because they both wanted to? Pedophilia? Think about the explosion of pornography and all of the perversion that goes on in our land. Lord, we are in bad, bad, bad shape. And you're the only hope that we have. 
Help us to be consistently salt and light and to be prayer warriors. Because as we look at this tonight, what Israel went through, the circumstances might have been a little bit different. Well, a lot different, actually. But yet, the things that were happening in their land are very similar, shockingly similar, to what is going on in our own land today. Please, have gracious mercy upon our nation and upon these next elections and upon the people that are running in the elections and upon the voters and help us to be Christian people and to realize you've given us a gift in the United States of America. We thank you for our country. We thank you for our liberties. We thank you for the protection that our Constitution has given us in our, uh, for our God-given rights. And we praise you for all of that. And we grieve at the direction that younger generations are going. And we grieve for the things that our nation embraces and promotes now. We grieve for all of that. And we pray you would forgive us. And we pray you would preserve us. We pray that you would protect us. You founded us. Now, Father, would you watch over us and would you help us and let it begin with me. And we pray this all because you're our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time tonight. God bless you for being here and you are dismissed.